So it's people that will compulsively take showers and bath up to 30 times a day because it's the only thing that will make them feel better. Cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome is a relatively newly recognised condition, but according to one study anyway, it could account for up to 6% of patients presenting in emergency departments with recurrent vomiting. The causal mechanism is as yet unclear, but currently we know the only way to prevent the syndrome is for the patient to stop their cannabis use. I'm Duncan Jarvis, Multimedia Editor for the BMJ, and to talk us through spotting the condition and what we think might be the mechanism of action, I'm joined on the line by Yaniv Chocron, Chief Resident at Lausanne University Hospital in Switzerland. Yaniv, thanks so much for taking some time to talk to us on the podcast. Thank you and hello everybody. Um, so yes, as I said, and as you say in the article, this could account for up to 6% of patients in the ED with recurring vomiting. So that's a lot of potential patients. Um, but it's only relatively recently recognised. So what's going on there? Why has it been missed so far? Is it just uh, very rare and is suddenly becoming much more, much more prevalent? Or do we know why it's taken us so long to diagnose this? Well, actually, um, cannabis consumption is growing worldwide year by year, but I'm sure that this syndrome existed uh, before 2004 when it was first uh, described by Allen. Uh, and just think that actually nobody had noticed it before, that uh, patients were presenting with vomiting and abdominal pain, and they just didn't have a precise diagnosis until now. Mm. And I mean, obviously, you do recognize it. You've written about it for the BMJ. Um, in your experience, do you think that prevalence is, is going up, that more people are, are presenting with this? It's hard to say because actually we're just recognizing them. So probably there are some more, um, uh, the prevalence is growing because, for example, in Colorado, we know that after uh, cannabis was legalized, emergency department visits due to cyclic vomiting, they uh, doubled after legalization. So probably there is a link between the legalization of cannabis and uh, cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. In Switzerland, actually, we have a very interesting situation because uh, I think two or three years ago, they, the law changed and um, it is actually legal in Switzerland now to smoke cannabis that has less than 1% THC. So in the past few years, there is a lot of uh, shops that opened and uh, um, they sell high CBD um, cannabis, it means with more than 15, 20, 25% of uh, CBD, uh, the cannabidiol. Uh, and very low THC, less than 1%. So it will be interesting uh, from now on to see if uh, uh, people that smoke this cannabis with low THC, if they also can develop uh, the cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. This we don't know yet. So could you sort of, uh, you know, 
define the, the, the syndrome for us? Can you, what are the sort of key features of it that people should be looking out for? So <clears throat> the, the syndrome uh, appears only in people that use uh, cannabis regularly. And this is defined in a big um, um, review uh, and meta-analysis with uh, at least uh, weekly cannabis use. So this is the population. It's people smoking cannabis regularly. What do they present? They present with abdominal pain and uh, nausea and intractable vomiting that comes in a cyclical pattern. They can suffer from this for days to weeks, then the symptoms can disappear even for months and then come back again. So this is the, the symptomatology that uh, people will, uh, will tell. Now, the, the key point of this syndrome is that uh, people learn that when they take a hot shower or a hot bath, symptoms get better. So it's people that will compulsively take showers and bath up to 30 times a day because it's the only thing that will make them feel better. And it's not uh, a psychiatric disease that comes in. It's very, it's a learned behavior. It's something that they didn't do before they had, they had this syndrome and something that they will stop do once they stop using cannabis. It's obviously um, behavior that they've been learning because it's the only way for them to alleviate their symptoms. Many, many times they say that uh, um, medication against nausea, against pain, they don't work for them. Great. So it's, it's seems like a sort of fairly clear um, diagnosis from that then. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly why uh, we wanted to publish this paper because we have realized that uh, most of the doctors, they don't know this syndrome exists. And it's very, very bothering for patients. And it's very, very easy to treat because the only treatment is to explain the patient that is suffering from its cannabis use and that it should stop. Otherwise, it will still suffer from this, uh, this syndrome. So as we said in the paper, there is between, uh, um, how do you say, on average, uh, people suffer for more than four years before the syndrome is diagnosed. Yes. Now, this is maybe, it might seem counterintuitive for some people, because we know that, that some patients use cannabis to help them with their nausea. There was... Um, there was even a Cochrane review on it with, you know, fairly cautious um, but positive evidence there. Um, but here the nausea is actually being produced by the cannabinoids. So do we know what's going on? Is this an acute thing, a sort of poisoning thing? Or is it, um, so, you know, what's the mechanism of action? Actually, it's true that uh, cannabis is pretty known for being anti-emetic, and that's probably one of the reasons why uh, the syndrome is often uh, not recognized. And we don't know why, but in some patients, independently of um, how much they consume, um, they will never have uh, this syndrome, and some other patients will will have will suffer from this uh, cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome um in my personal opinion 
uh, I think there might be some uh, genetic variation that could make uh, people at risk um, of uh, suffering from this syndrome. We could imagine that um, we could have maybe different uh, expression of enzymes that will um, metabolize the cannabis and, uh, and make uh, some patients more vulnerable than others. As for the, um, for the physiopathology, it's also unknown since uh, we don't have many studies in the past uh, 15 years, but there are some uh, interesting uh, hypotheses. Mm. And you mentioned uh, in the article that, you know, standing under, sh under a shower in a bath um, might reduce symptoms. Does that kind of point us towards a potential causative mechanism? Definitely. It's actually, uh, we didn't write it in the article because it's a very strong uh, statement, but in my opinion, it's definitely a um, pathognomonic feature of the syndrome. Personally, I don't know any other syndrome that uh, um, presents with vomiting and, uh, and abdominal pain that is um, alleviated by uh, hot water. So in my opinion, it's pathognomonic and uh, um, as you said, uh, some, this feature could uh, help us understand uh, the, the, the mechanism of, um, of this syndrome. For example, there is some uh, authors that suggest that there is a splanchnic uh, vasodilation that um, will, um, will uh, contribute to the symptom by mesenteric congestion. And uh, in this context, exposure to hot water could uh, make uh, the blood go away from the, uh, from the mesenteric um, system and go to the skin and um, alleviate the symptoms. That's also the hypothesis with the use of capsaicin uh, for, uh, for the treatment. Maybe we will talk about it later. We will do. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but before we get there, how can a doctor spot this? How can they... Uh, you know, be aware, have you got a differential diagnosis or something for us? Actually, the very interesting uh, thing about this syndrome is that the diagnosis is purely based on the history of the patient. So you don't need any lab test to, uh, to put the diagnosis. It's only rely, relying on uh, history. So if your patient has the symptoms meaning abdominal pain, recurrent vomiting, and takes uh, 15 to 30 hot showers per day to, um, to relieve the symptoms, then it is probably this syndrome. And if he denies cannabis use, then you can use uh, a tox screen just to be sure that uh, he's not lying. But uh, otherwise, you don't need much of lab test. Actually, you, did, you need lab test only to assess for a complication of the syndrome, like uh, acute renal failure or a problem with uh, electrolytes. And that's as a result of the vomiting rather than the sort exactly. of underlanding pathophysiology of this. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned there some, you know, potentially quite serious uh, uh, effects of this syndrome. Um, is that something that, that people should be particularly aware of? Yes, definitely. Actually, there is um, a paper where they talk about acute renal failure due to cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome because there are multiple uh, reasons to develop kidney failure. 
people is vomiting, so he's unable to get hydrated. But also the fact that they use uh, hot showers and hot baths, they make them, this makes them even more dehydrated because they lose water from the skin. Mm. Uh, there is also intestinal pseudo obstructions that are described, skin scalds, um, and um, big electrolyte disturbance. And there is also one paper describing the death of uh, three persons, probably due to complications of the cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome with uh, hyponatremia, hypoglycemia, dehydration. So it can be very serious. Mm. And so is the, the, the sort of symptomatic treatment the way to go? Is that, that what people should do? Well, the first thing is, um, the first thing to know is that the, the only long-term um, treatment is cannabis cessation. So unless the patient stops using cannabis, he will suffer again and again of this syndrome. This is for the long term. Obviously, when people get into the emergency room, we need something to alleviate the symptoms uh, quickly. Uh, in my experience, I have been using benzodiazepines. They've been very useful, especially for the nausea and to help the patient in the, this uh, acute phase. But um, uh, I haven't tried this uh, yet, but uh, there is growing literature on the use of uh, topical uh, capsaicin on the abdomen uh, to relieve uh, the symptoms. Some other uh, authors suggest using uh, neuroleptics, and most of the people um, agree that we shouldn't use uh, opioids uh, for pain relief because, because it can worsen the nausea. Uh, so that you mentioned earlier that uh, it, it's cannabis uh, cessation, really, that, um, that, that helps the, the syndrome. Do we have any idea about, you know, how effective that is? Is it, uh, does that lead to sort of, you know, total resolution of the symptoms? Definitely. Um, most of the, in most of the cases, uh, in the next days where people stop using cannabis, the symptoms totally disappear. At most, it is said that it's about two weeks. Um, and the interesting thing is that uh, if they started, start to smoke again, then they uh, will probably have a relapse. Um, we have seen that with uh, some of our patients and uh, that explains why People usually they don't they don't quit the first time we tell them that they have this syndrome because they don't really see the link. Many times, some patient, uh, many times patient that I've had, they told me that the moment they smoke, for the next uh, minutes and hours, maybe they feel better, and it stops the nausea, it stops the the pain. So they don't want to quit because they don't see the link mm. between their use and the syndrome. And after two or three times that they come to the emergency room and we keep telling them, look, it's this, it's, uh, we, I've had uh, some patients that I showed them the papers that uh, have been published. And after a while, they understand and they quit. If they start again, they will suffer from the syndrome. That's interesting. So uh, 
this isn't something that that's alleviated and then people can go back to their their previous behavior they have to kind of abstain from cannabis use um, in perpetuity potentially for what i've seen yes but uh, as uh, as we said we don't we don't have much data on this syndrome so it's also possible that it could be temporary Great. Well, uh, it sounds like this is something that people should definitely watch out for, um, especially in emergency departments. And we'll we'll hopefully get some more information on on treatment and, and long term outlook soon. Well, um, Yaniv, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us on the podcast today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Yaniv talk about the easily missed article, Cannabinoid Hyperemesis Syndrome. That's now available on bmj.com, and I'll link to it from the podcast text. That's it for this episode, but we'll be back next week with more from EBM Live about how to include patients in research, and there'll be more practice for you as well. In the meantime, we've also just published another episode of Sharp Scratch, this time talking about making your first mistake and picking yourself up afterwards. Advice this time comes from Jenny Vaughan, who worked with Hadiza Bawagaba and David Sellu, and also Rob Hendry from the Medical Protection Society. And we have Andy Heaps in the room to talk about ennobling culture. You can find that, as well as all of our other podcasts, from bmj.com slash podcasts. They're also available on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts from. So, until next week, I'm Duncan Jarvis. Thanks for listening.